turn in our Bibles to Acts 20. Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Um, Really three stories. Uh, The first is basically a detail of the Apostle Paul's travels. And then in the middle, we find a story with um, uh, some very uh, poignant application, I would say, um, where a healing happens for a young man named Eutychus, um, probably very likely a boy, um, not even a teenager, uh, would have been a very young man. Um, and then, of course, the, the, it'll, it'll conclude um, with some more travels. And so we'll really focus on the center of this story, um, of this passage, and, um, and think about how the Lord's miracle to save this, this boy might apply to how he saves us and helps us today. So having already prayed um, and hoping that you've already turned there in your Bibles now to Acts 20, let's start reading at verse 1. After the uproar ceased, <clears throat> Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, Sassundus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. So us, because Luke is now traveling with Paul. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting in the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Uh, By taken up, it means somebody lifted him up and recognized he was dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up, and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while, until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us in Assos, we took, we took him aboard, or on board, and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos, and the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to, set, to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So, as we focus on the center of this passage, the story of Eutychus, 
I want to say the general purpose of the story seems to be establishing that Jesus has blessed the Apostle Paul with great power, not only to preach, but even to heal. So Paul had power to preach, and his preaching ministry was um, extremely effective, maybe not in always drawing huge crowds to himself, but effective in that when Paul preached, people were born again in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul's power to preach is common, I would say, to all preachers of the gospel today. That as the word of God goes forth, it will not return void, it will produce what God intends for it. And that's a power that's not really inherent in any person, but is a power that the Holy Spirit demonstrates through the preaching of the word. But the Apostle Paul also has an apostolic power to heal. You might recall the text in the previous chapter where we find this description of the Apostle Paul's ministry in verses 11 and 12 of Acts 19. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that he had touched, um, that touched his skin, were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. And so this story continues that trend of Paul being able to do miraculous things by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here we find Paul raising a boy who had immediately died after falling from a third-story window. Um, This must have been a terrible fall. For somebody to die actually immediately is is very significant. Um, Not dying because of trauma that occurred over maybe a a broken neck or something that had happened and, and... gone into a coma and eventually his heart stopped but but the young man died it seems almost upon impact which must have been truly a terrible thing and there are some parallels in this story between Paul's healing of Eutychus and the Old Testament story of Elijah healing the son of the widow of Zarephath and part of the the parallel is not just in the healing itself but but in the type of prophet or minister that Paul and Elijah were. In both times, for Elijah and for Paul, people had been waiting for a prophet, waiting for the power of God to be displayed among them. And so, in Elijah's day, people had been waiting for a prophet like him, and the Lord um, blessed Elijah with spiritual power, so he was regarded as the greatest of the prophets of the Old Testament, not just for the teaching that he would give about God, about the law of God and directing kings and rulers towards the will of God, but the Lord also gave Elijah the ability to do miraculous things. And so people had been waiting ever since Elijah and Elisha for another kind of prophet. Of course, Christ most fully fulfills that expectation because that power isn't just Uh, gifted to him, but is within him because he is God himself in the flesh. And so people are still waiting to see God's power on display in the far reaches of the Roman Empire and even of the world. And the Lord blesses the Apostle Paul with that kind of power in an apostolic way. As Reformed Christians, we believe that people no longer actually have this kind of apostolic ability. Um, Of course, 
there is the ability to preach the word of God so that people might be born again. But, but in this kind of way, we believe that, that these um, types of spiritual gifts um, died out with the apostles. No, now, but they were certainly there, we believe, in the age of the apostles, where Paul was able to demonstrate God's power which is greater than the power of evil and suffering in this world, so that people might believe the gospel message. But there's also a practical purpose to these miracles as well. They were meant to confirm the truth of of that message that Paul brought to places like Troas. People were ready to listen. They were ready to believe. They were ready to follow Jesus when they saw the power of God on display. And we see that happening in this story. The crowd is gathered and they are listening intently, even through midnight. And so the Spirit is already at work among them because he's inspiring people to, to sacrifice a night's sleep, to hear a message of salvation through Jesus. And so they're sticking with Paul all the way through the night. Their devotion and their joy only increases then when, when there's a miraculous healing among them. And part of the reason that we even have Eutychus' name is that it's meant to remind us that this happened to a real person so that Luke includes his name almost for the, um, like, a, like a, a footnote, you would say. Um, we have the names of various people in the New Testament that seem almost like minor characters. Um, um, thinking of, uh, um, uh, who's, who's the guy who, whose ear was healed? Amalchus, right? Um, that, that we would have that story of, of the name of that man whose ear was healed in the Garden of Gethsemane and the, part of the purpose of including the name of that man is that people would go to Jerusalem and say, where's Malchus? I want to go hear this story. And they would go and talk to this man and he would say, sure enough, my ear was cut off. Jesus was there. He healed me. And Eutychus would have been the same kind of figure in a town of Troas. So that a young boy who, who would continue living uh, perhaps in this town or someone else, people could go find and and Luke includes his name as a footnote or as a, a reference or to strengthen the historical reliability or validity of the story. And so verse 12 taught us, the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted that this real thing happened to a real person and the effect was comfort and belief in the gospel. Sometimes we ask, does this kind of thing happen today? Does this kind of thing happen today? Something like this happened during a football game this past NFL season. Now, no one died, but something very similar, I would say, occurred, and God received glory as a result. Hopefully, you'll allow me another football analogy. It's two weeks in a row, I know, but um, um, last week you needed to know a little bit about football to get it, but today you don't need to know anything about football. Um, you don't even know, need to know what shape the ball is for, for this story to make sense to you. You would probably know where I'm going. During a game between the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals this past year, a player named Damar Hamlin, a believer, a Christian man, tackled one of the Bengals receivers just looking like an absolutely normal play. And because of some very strange physics that were at play in that tackle, 
Um, Damar Hamlin stood up after the play was over and then only a few seconds later, we can probably all even imagine the, the, the images in our mind, fell over in a heap. And that doesn't normally happen. Uh, occasionally it will because football is a violent game, but he fell in a different kind of way where people knew this was very serious. Uh, the same thing happened actually for a Danish soccer player named Christian Eriksson um, only a, about uh, maybe about 18 months ago or so. And, and so it quickly became apparent the situation was, was dire and although he didn't die like Eutychus, his heart failed and he needed immediate um, resuscitation, medical intervention. And so that situation was similar to the death of Eutychus in, in this way, that when this happened, everything stops. Everything stops. When this happens, uh, when Eutychus falls out a window or Damar Hamlin falls down on the football field, everyone is immediately aware of the fragility of human life. Is, is able to see this, uh, in this case, a young man, presumably healthy like Eutychus, or a young man like Damar Hamlin, um, the peak of, of physical health in some ways, would fall down with a heart attack on a football field. Everyone is sort of taken out of this, um, this head space of maybe listening to a message, which could have been a good idea, or watching a football game, which is perfectly fine and fun to do, um, taken out of that, that head space and into, whoa, life is a fragile thing. So Paul stops his sermon and gives attention to Eutychus. Part of the reason is that people's physical well-being does matter to God. That as Christians, we're not just heavenly-minded and of no earthly good. <laughs> that the kingdom of God will break through into the world in powerful ways, not always resulting in miraculous healings like this, but certainly wherever we can see that God is providing daily bread and even healing for his people, we can say, thanks be to God, he cares not just for our souls, but for our bodies as well. So through these events, the Lord is waking people up to the fragility and the seriousness of life. And so God did that through Damar Hamlin, who is, is well again. And, and I'm convinced that actually there was a net gain and a net good, spiritually speaking, from that very sad and serious event where many people prayed for this young man, perhaps for the first time in a very long time, to pray for a football player. And then being woken up to their own fragility of their life and of their own need for, for God. The same sorts of things happened in that, that upper room in Troas where the result of Eutychus's healing was comfort, worship, and fellowship. Imagine in that little scenario between the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals, that game was canceled because of the serious situation. Imagine if Damar Hamlin walks out of the ambulance and back onto the field and says, I'm good to go. It's been confirmed that I've, I've just had a heart attack and almost died, and, and here I am, we're ready to play again. The doctors check him out and say, it looks good, let's resume the game. I would hope the result would be much comfort and worship of the Lord as the one who does great things, even miracles in the world. That actually happened in this story 
Of course, it took Damar Hamlin some time to, be, to recover, and, and the Lord was blessing him in that way through customary means of medical care, but also through, um, uh, through his, his presence in his life. And so that is what happened in our story, where Eutychus is picked up, sort of to dust him off. <laughs> if we go back to uh, the upper room there, and they worship. They, they, they talk, they share time with one another. Now, I'm not sure if Luke intended this as irony, but it strikes me as interesting that a man who fell asleep and died was used to wake people up to our need for Christ. Isn't that kind of a, an irony? I don't know if Luke intends for that uh, in his storytelling, but it is, to me, one of the purposes of the, of the passage. A man who falls asleep and falls to his death is used to wake up uh, a church or even us today to the fragility of life and to the power of God. You know, people are ready to listen when these big life events occur. People are often ready to listen to the word of God at a funeral. Often ready to listen at uh, a Good Friday service, at a Thanksgiving service as well, but, but at, at these kind of sobering services where the cross is before us or where, um, where we, we come to remember the life of a loved one who we love so dearly. And it's in those moments where the Lord can destroy our defenses and open us up for the comfort that we need from him. I'm kind of like thinking of the Battle of Jericho where, where it's, it's, it's in grief often where, where the walls can fall down and, and in comes the presence of God. And I think that's part of what's happening in this story about Eutychus. That as people realize, whoa, this just happened, God is among us, his power is powerfully at work through Paul, their defenses fall down and people are born again. It's been my experience in visiting with people who are grieving or people who are sitting in that hospital bed, perhaps realizing they're about to meet the Lord soon, where God's word is powerfully at work, powerfully at work, not through the kinds of ways that the charismatic movement would say as, as there's jumping and um, an energetic worship and loud music and so forth, but where God's word is powerfully at work, there is often silence and, and, and a hushed recognition that God is great, that we are sinners, and that he saves people like us. It's amazing, actually, that, um, that uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones is a preacher who once said that that where he has often recognized the power of God most poignantly is actually not in times of, of loud singing, but actually in times of silence in the church. So even uh, if that wasn't the exact response of the people in that upper room in Troas, certainly we can see that when, when we're in those moments of, of grief or of, of sort of a serious recognition of our frailty, like that stadium of people where a man is laying on the field. The power of God, actually, is, can be powerfully felt in those moments. Even if a miraculous healing isn't the result of God's presence, it's in those crises that we receive strength from God, that we would rely on God for, for comfort. It's there that we are most richly blessed by the church, 
and by our friends. Sometimes the Lord allows suffering in our lives so that we will stop everything like Paul did and tend to the suffering of someone's needs. We heard from Thomas Brooks this morning in the worship service and I want to share another quote from the great Puritan who lived in the 17th century. He said, As our greatest good comes through the suffering of Christ, so God's greatest glory that he has so God's greatest glory that he has from his saints comes through their sufferings as well. That's a profound quote and it's it's difficult to live in that suffering we recognize. But certainly through a story like the, the healing of Eutychus, we can see that, that through the, the, the temporary suffering of these people who loved this young man came God's greatest glory among them. So, when we read a story like this one from Acts 20, we should remember once again that God doesn't just provide a solution for spiritual needs, but he is interested in the physical needs of his people as well. Unfortunately, many people would read this passage and think only about the physical healing of Eutychus, but the greater blessing comes afterward of a life in Christ, the permanent blessing of being born again. In order to enjoy that blessing, God raised Eutychus from the dead. Now, one question that people might have in a story like this, who is to blame? Um, We might like to do that in our culture quite often, don't we? When something goes wrong like this, a young man falling out of a third-story window, uh, people like to ask, whose fault was that? And so I want to think for a little while this evening about what maybe a theology of accidents perhaps could be a good thing to think about. So was Paul to blame for preaching too long, way into the night? No. That's not how the story is told, actually. Um, It's it's very clear in how the story is told that Paul has a short amount of time, and so he's going to preach as long as he can for the benefit of these people. Actually, the the timing of things was very regularly mentioned. I don't know if you noticed that I was reading the passage, but he's only got a little while in Troas, and so he's going to make the most of his time, and that's even going to include preaching into the night. If the Apostle Paul walked through our doors... Would we want to listen to him through midnight? Oh yeah, we would. (laughs) This man who was a a Pharisee, who was a persecutor of the church, who met Christ on the road to Damascus and and has a a life of prayer and and seen powerful things and and, and knows Christ in a way that, um, that we want to know Jesus. I would be pretty willing to sit here past midnight to listen to the Apostle Paul teaching and preaching. And so certainly we wouldn't say that Paul is to blame for being a boring preacher. Maybe that covers me a little bit, because um, I don't think that's the, uh, the application. Actually, the title of my sermon today is borrowed from the title of a book about preaching, Saving Eutychus. And um, from what I sense, I haven't read the book, but, but part of the purpose of that book actually is to blame Paul for being a, a boring preacher. And so um, here's a... The, the purpose of that book. Uh, poor Eutychus. This is the, uh, from the sleeve of the book I found on Amazon. Poor Eutychus might have tumbled off his perch in Acts 20, but it's humbling to notice that what took Paul many hours of preaching to achieve, near fatal napping in one of his listeners, 
takes most preachers only a few minutes on a Sunday. Saving Eutychus will help you to save your listeners from such a fate. <laughs> um, so uh, not a good interpretation of the text, I would say. Maybe, um, maybe it's a good book about being an engaging preacher, but, but the avenue they take to get there, I would say, is probably not the most helpful. Our passage does not indict Paul for preaching too long. He had a short time with these people, and he's making the most of it. Paul is not to be blamed for the death of a young man. On the other hand, what about Eutychus falling asleep in a window? Are we supposed to look at him and, and blame him for being um, dangerous or uh, haphazard? Some people would point out that he shouldn't have been sitting in that window. But actually, it was a common practice in the day, especially because of a detail we have in verse 8 of the passage will be on the screen. Did you notice that Luke included the detail, there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered? Why would he say that? Because where there are many lamps, the air is stuffy, and especially where there's a lot of people, perhaps we've been in those kinds of rooms before, where you need some fresh air. And so it's perfectly reasonable that a boy would, would go and, and sit in the window. Um, I can remember a situation where I was a boy, and um, it was in the 80s, and I think a lot more people smoked then. And I remember being in the back of a conversion van of a family member, and my family member was just smoking like crazy. We were on our way on vacation and, and smoking in the car, and, and they had one of those little sliding glass um, windows in the back of conversions band, and I remember laying my head right next to that window just for some fresh air. Um, and I think that's probably what's happening here for Eutychus, sitting in the window where all of these lamps were lit so people could listen to Paul preach. He's doing something that makes some sense. He's not just being um, foolish. And so the story isn't told in a way that should make us think that Eutychus is, um, is to blame in any way. Uh, this is not a, a situation that we have like in the Garden of Gethsemane where Peter and James and John were supposed to be praying and Jesus is getting frustrated with them for falling asleep. And Jesus says the, the famous line, the, the spirit is willing but the body is weak. And he's rebuking them for falling asleep in a time where they should be praying and supporting Jesus as their friend. And that doesn't seem to be the, um, the application and how the story is told about Eutychus. And in the end, I think we can say it was an accident. And by an accident, I don't mean that it's something that God had not ordained, but it's an accident in the sense that it doesn't really seem like a person is at fault or even could have or should have acted so differently. God has a design and a purpose for all events. So we wouldn't say this is a random event, but in terms of who is to blame for Eutychus's fall from the window, I would say no person but God used this accident for his glory. And I hope that's helpful for each of you as you look back on your life, that as you develop a theology of accidents, that there are times when people act, acting in, in good faith and sometimes even in wisdom um, run into one another, or, or some sad thing occurs. And God can use that. God can use that. 
rather than trying to figure out who's to blame, we can say, how might God use it? Just as no one was to blame for Eutychus' terrible fall, there have been several times in each of our lives we look back and we want someone to blame, but rather than obsessing about who's at fault, we should remember the outcome of the suffering, which is hopefully a recognition of God's goodness to us, how he's keeping us, how he'll help us through it. So that's where the attention is on the story. It's not on who's to blame, but it's on what God did through it. The result of the accident was the rejoicing of a church. The result of the accident is the comfort of God's people. So this passage showed us that life is fragile, that God cares about our spiritual life and our physical well-being. Excuse me. It also shows us that God is stronger than death. Isn't that what we need to hear? That God is stronger than death. That God is at work even through accidents. That God cares for you and will give you whatever you need to trust him and to follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.